Hello. I am so looking forward to bringing you this episode because I've got Joshua Plouts, who is the Interior Products Technical Manager for the Dulux Group. And we're talking all about the nitty gritty details of interior paint products and what you need to know. So let's dive in. Welcome to Get It Right with the Undercover Architect. This is the podcast all about designing, building or renovating your home. I'm your host, Amelia Lee. Think of me as your secret ally. I am on a mission to help you create a home that makes your life better, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget. Together, we'll uncover the nitty gritty of how to get it right and how to create a home that works, feels great and that you feel great in. So join me now. Now, before we dive into the interview, if you're listening because you want to get it right in your home's interior design, well, let me take a moment to tell you about the online program, Interior Design 101. If you're like most homeowners I know, dreaming, planning and choosing the interior design, finishes and items in your home, it's one of the fantastic and exciting highlights of any renovation or new build project. And yet it can also be a minefield of options, confusion and overwhelm. Would you like to simplify those choices and have total clarity and confidence that your interior design will help you create your beautiful, functional, feel-good home? Well, that's exactly why Interior Design 101 was created. Interior Design 101 is a self-study DIY program. It contains the full version of all the interviews that are included in the podcast season. I couldn't put all of the questions into the podcast, so we've got the full interviews in both audio and video format, plus extra content that's been specifically created for Interior Design 101. There's full transcripts of all of our interviews. There's also extra checklists, guides, design layouts, and so much good stuff to support you in the interior design of your renovation new home or smaller project. This program has been designed to help you gain clarity and confidence in all those selections and decisions that you need to make for the finishes, fixtures, colors, materials, and items that you'll be living with every day. So if you'd like to learn more about Interior Design 101, then head to www.interiordesign101.com.au and that's the numbers, the numerals 101. So Interior Design 101.com.au and I'll pop that link in the show notes as well. Now let's kick off our episode and let me introduce to you Joshua Plouts. So Josh is the Interior Products Technical Manager at the Dulux Group. So what does this mean? Well, Josh and his team are the ones responsible for all the science and technology behind the paints and the products created by Dulux. So if you're picturing labs and white lab coats, then you're not far wrong. Josh has a Bachelor of Applied Science in Chemistry and he's worked as an industrial chemist. He's won awards for his skills as a technologist and I'm super excited to be bringing him and his knowledge to uh, the UA community. Now, I see homeowners get really focused on their colour and their material selections for their interiors, but then they'll often not get involved in the actual product specification process. And this is particularly relevant for painting when you might be using a painter for your project and you often just go with the product and the brand that they use and recommend and you get them to match the colour that you might have chosen from whatever brand. It's really worth understanding that not all paints are the same. Not all products are the same. Specific areas require specific products in order for you to get long-term performance and definitely for you to get durability and ease of maintenance long-term. 
So in this interview, Josh helps us understand more about the science of interior paint products and what to consider when making your selections, be it for different surface types, such as your woodwork or your walls or your ceilings, for different rooms, such as your wet areas or your living areas, and then for different gloss levels as well. That's a really big one to consider too. So it's amazing to see how much testing and research goes into the actual creation of the paint products that we use and how this can help us have products that stand the test of time and survive family life in our homes. I really hope that you enjoy this episode and find it super helpful. Let's listen now. Hey Josh, well it's fantastic to have you here on the Get It Right podcast. I'm really excited to be talking with you because I know you have a wealth of knowledge when it comes to Dulux paints and paints in general and it's going to be super helpful for the UA community. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You've been with Dulux for some time. Uh, How did you actually get into the role that you do and you know a little bit about your background? Yes, yeah, so I um, actually studied industrial chemistry um, at university. So I studied at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane. Um, and after that, I was very much interested in applying my skills to real industrial problems. So I ended up uh, in the US doing research and development um, at a coatings company. So we made inks and coatings for packaging and for automotive applications. Um, so and then I decided I want to come back to Australia. And I was very fortunate to uh get a role with Dulux. So started off at the, the Rock Lee factory um, doing production support and then moved uh, down to commission our water-based factory in Merrifield, which is in the northern suburbs. Um, and then after that, uh, got a role in the research and development department. So looking after the interior products, so ceiling, prep, and our broadwall offer as well. So. Fantastic. Well, you're the perfect person to be answering all the questions I have for you then. So I'm really (laughs) excited now because the UI community just loves getting into the nitty gritty and really learning about, you know, sort of the core information that they need to know. So uh, when my mum, when I was growing up, my mum did a lot of uh, painting and repainting both inside and outside of our house. I never saw her prime anything. She just put colour straight over last time's colour. And so when I started my career and I saw painters start, you know, using primers, it was quite a surprise to me. And my husband's painting at our place quite a few times and he always does it professionally as well so does the proper process why is primer so important and how you know when do you need to use it and do you always need to use it if you're painting another surface yeah I think I think the key there is what you're painting over so you really got to think about the substrate and also what paint was there previously so I think if you were to say most most people if they're going to take on a project it might be um, over existing waterborne paints. Um, in that situation, a lot of the time you can just paint over with existing waterborne paints. Um, it starts to get a little bit more complicated if you're painting over aged alkyd. So a lot of the oh, older what, homes are aged alkyd, so uh, or enamel effectively. So I've started using too many chemistry terms there already. So um, if you're painting over like nice, you know, glossy enamel from say the 60s or the 70s. Um, very difficult to adhere to for a waterborne paint. And so at that point, that's when you start to need to use primers if you're inside. Um, if you think about some of the other occasions, so maybe you're painting over timber, um, a substrate that moves and, you know, timber breathes and um, you can have grain cracking start to occur. So you really need to make sure that you've got a good primer on there that can move with the timber. Um, and if you think about some of our more regional sort of occasions like Western Australia, um, their construction processes are still using set plaster, so not using, um, you know, plasterboard. 
then you can need to use something that's going to seal um, and bind the substrate as well. So you really got to start to think about the specifics of your projects um, and find the suitable primer for that. So, and we have, of course, we've got a, a really differentiated um, set of primers that you can find, and they all have their own purpose. Um, you know, so that's the amazing thing. Do, uh, when I was going through researching for this interview. Um, just to see the the breadth of different types of products that Dulux had specific to the different substrates that it might be going on that I think a lot of homeowners may not be even aware of because they walk into Bunnings and they just pick something off the shelf. But it's really interesting and I'll pop links in the show notes because there's just a wealth of really great basic information um, in terms of how to and understanding kind of how to deal with different materials and the types of um, paint finishes and even just your paint calculators and those kinds of things. So um, yeah, it's a, a really fantastic library of knowledge and resources. Now in terms of different paints for different areas, we've obviously got um, you know you'll see ranges that are just for general interiors but then we'll also have different types of antibacterial or paints with mold inhibiting uh, you know mold growth inhibiting um, properties in them is it you know how do these paints actually vary and is it worthwhile that homeowners really investigate using different types of paints based on the area in the home that they're painting yeah yeah I think um, you know you think about what what sort of like a microclimate right in, in your own home um, so if you're thinking like your kitchen um, you know, your bathroom or maybe your laundry, you know, if you've got a dryer running um, a lot. And so there can be high humidity and particularly in, say, northern Queensland, um, mould can be a really big issue. So from a formulator's point of view, what we do is we add in a mould inhibitor. Um, so those paints that have those claims will have a, um, a material in there that actually prevents the formation of mould. So um, what we do to test it, I've actually got a panel here I can show you. Um, so hold this up and you can see the panels the difference this one here not having any molds and this has grown uh, quite a quite a nice little uh, crop of mold there so the what we do is we paint paint those panels um, and then we actually put them in a it's a mold cabinet that we have in the labs um, so it's a hundred percent humidity um, and it's full of mold so we uh, we put respirators on and make sure we're all uh, appropriately equipped and then we put those panels in there and we actually test them to see um, if the paint has that resistance. And, and you can see, you know, this, I think the panel that I showed you there, that had been in there for like eight weeks, which is a very, very extreme, uh, you know, you wouldn't, have, you wouldn't find those conditions in the real world. So it is worthwhile considering, um, do you need that, you know, for your room? Um, do you just want to remove that concern for yourself um, effectively? So, um, yeah, I think, it, I think they, they serve their purpose and they have a, you know, specific uh, use. And especially when you start to think about with the implications of mold, like, you know, you can have mold spores and then you can have allergies forming as a result of that. So, um, so yeah, I'm a big fan of, um, of our anti-mold and antibacterial um, products. They do a good job. Yeah, that's fantastic to actually see the testing protocol. And for podcast listeners, I'll pop a screenshot into the blog so that you can see what Josh was holding up because it, you can see the stark difference between the one with the mold inhibitor and the one that doesn't have the mold inhibitor on it. And I think, um, you know, there is lots of talk. I'm in parts of, you know, a, a lot of communities. I've got a very good friend that runs a business called Low Tox Life and, you know, talks a lot about uh, the issues that people have around uh, mold growth and mold in their homes and what illnesses that might be causing them and inflammation and those types of things. And building biologists are very big on that as well. So it is fantastic to see that you're testing it in such extreme environments to actually yeah prove it that it's working so 
bags not be the person who has to go in there with the respirator on. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, you know, it's a highly trained chemist and, um, yeah, they're, they're not actually in a mould uh, cabinet. It's a, it's a small uh, lab-based one, but, um, but yeah, it is, it's, pretty, it's pretty gross. Uh, but, you know, the, the test results are worth it and to be able to share them with people, um, and it's so visual, right? You can just see um, that it works. So, yeah, yeah some, some nice products. That's extraordinary. Now, can we talk about water-based versus oil-based paint? So, you know, I remember long, long time ago, like, you know, when, when I was little, my mum using a lot of oil-based paints and always having to get the terps out to wash everything out it was a really messy process. These days, a lot more paints are water-based. You, um, I remember when you released your aqua enamel and how exciting that was. And I've used it a lot in our own projects. There's, there's obviously differences in the cleanup, in the non-yellowing, in the whites um, and in the performance generally. Uh, what are the pros and cons based on whether you're choosing a water-based or an oil-based enamel and how can homeowners make the best choice for their projects? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. Um, I think the, the older generation of painters um, really love solvent-born enamels. And the finish that you can get from a solvent-born enamel is it's pretty special. You know, we have our, obviously, the super enamel range. And, um, you know, we call that like the high-gloss finish. And if you were to ask a painter, they would say it's that glassy um, mirror-type finish, no brush marks, flows out beautifully. Um, so that's really the main benefit. Of, of the um, what I call before alkyd technology or um, solvent-born enamels. Um, they do cure to a really hard finish as well, but with everything, there's always a pro and a con. So if it's very, very hard, then it's also prone to you know, maybe chipping um, if it gets a, a hard impact and it does have to be pretty hard to chip it. Um, so when you think about other cons, um, solvent-born is prone to yellowing as well and that's a benefit we really try to to ramp up with our uh our aquanamel um of course the the odor a lot of people can't stand the odor from the solvent as well um if you were looking at a voc level for a solvent born enamel um it's in the hundreds you know three four five hundred um grams per liter um, and that's all of the uh, the solvent that's actually carrying the products um onto the wall um the exterior durability of solvent-born as well is a little bit less um, or probably significantly less than especially a full acrylic um, like your aquanamel. And I think, like you said, aquanamel is much more user-friendly. So being water-based, you can, you know, wash it up in water, get all your equipment clean. You don't need the bucket of terps that you don't really know what to do with when you're finished. Um, <laughs> and so hopefully no one's tipping that into their garden. Um but, you know, there are a lot of advantages to that. And I think um, being waterborne um, as, a, as a paint chemist, you know, we're fighting against um, surface tension and, and the nature of the technology to get that same smooth finish. Um, and it's not quite possible to get that mirror, you know, glassy finish that you can from, uh, from solvent-borne. But if you look at trends, um, we've seen the reversal over the last sort of five to ten years um, not only away from solvent-born, because as people become more health-conscious um, and there's regulations that go against it, but also people not necessarily chasing that super high-gloss finish either. They might want a more subtle look. They, you know, There's more of an appreciation for semi-gloss these days. And a waterborne enamel um, delivers a really nice, um, durable semi-gloss finish. Um, so there, there are a lot more advantages, I think, to waterborne. I think over time what we'll see is 
everybody will be shifting towards waterborne um, enamels. And, you know, we will continue to refine the products as well. Um, the holy grail for us would be to have the, the flow and the levelling of the enamel and build that into the waterborne um, one. So that's something that keeps a lot of people busy um, every day trying to meet that challenge. So... I, it's um it's funny I've it's never really I mean I've used these products for for you know almost like over 20 years now the the science involved in them has never really it's never been something that's been on my radar and it's I can see that there's like teams of people really trying to figure out nut out okay what does the formula need in order for us to achieve the finish and the durability and the you know the protection and those kinds of things it must actually be amazing in I mean as a as a from your background to be part mm. of that team kind of really trying to push the envelope of what these products can do yeah yeah we do we and we spend a lot of time with consumers um you know whether it's like a retail like a DIY type person who pops into Bunnings you know for their project on the weekend or people who are renovating, you know, doing their whole home, um, trade painters who their profession is applying our products. Um, so, you know, we try to talk to them and get those really pure insights. Um, you know, what is it that you like? What don't you like? And and then we, you know, the scientists will be in their lab coats writing down all of these things. And, and then we, you know, we effectively go to work um, with our sales and marketing colleagues and try to build something that people really love and uh, you know it's a pleasure to use and gets the finish they want and it, that's 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 what we do so yeah that's brilliant the paints do come in varying finishing levels you were touching on that before so you've obviously got a flat or a matte there's a low sheen semi-gloss and a full gloss so can you just talk through from a water-based perspective how these different levels of finish are actually achieved and what homeowners might need to know about their choice because I know that we've we've made the mistake where we've used a gloss on something and it's showed up all the imperfections of the things behind it um, so it's been really helpful to understand as you know I remember very early in my career being taught no if you want to protect if you want to you know hide the imperfections of something choose a, a, a low sheen or even a matte paint what are what are, how are those sheens uh, created and what do homeowners need to know yeah, so I think, um, you know, if we step into the lab, I guess, like so if you're formulating a paint and so um, the components in a paint are typically like the binder or the latex and that's the, the glue that sticks it to the wall, um, there'll be some prime pigment, so some titanium dioxide that makes it nice and white and gives it that coverage. Um, and then there'll be mineral extenders, so things like calcites and all sorts of different extenders that you can buy and then all the additives that make it special, so the dispersants, surfactant, those types of things. The ratio between the, um, the extenders that I spoke about, the mineral extenders, and the latex is pretty much what determines the sheen overall. So if you have a lot of latex and no extender, you're going to have a gloss. So you can imagine that nice glossy finish. And if you have a flat, you'll have a little bit of latex and a lot of extender. Now, since the latex is responsible for the binding properties, then you can imagine the durability of a flat is going to be less than that of a gloss. Um, it's just the polymer, there's less polymer, so there's less property um, there. And like you said, if you want to hide imperfections, then a flat is your best bet. Now, if you put a, a ceiling flat on your wall, then you're probably going to have a bad time because, you know, your walls are typically a wearing surface. Your people might be brushing against them or you know, as you move furniture around, those types of things, or the kids might um, get at them with some crayons. Um, so, you know, they can then stain or they can have mars and those types of things. So um, a flat really belongs um, on the ceiling um, and it's designed to hide all those imperfections that, you know, the plasterers couldn't quite, uh, couldn't quite hide. 
And so the painters come in and do them a favour and put a, a nice flat paint up there, um, you know, hiding the, all those plaster bands and any of those imperfections. Um, when we move up sort of into a mat, and we have um, washable mats these days. Um, so a mat is, um, we define it by uh, using an instrument called a gloss meter. So a flat would be something that's probably less than 1.5% reflection of the light that's hitting the film. If you move into a mat, it's sort of about 2 to 5%. So there's a little bit more binder, and so you get a little bit more of the wear properties. So products like Wash & Wear um, have a mat, um, and our trade painters love those products because they can put them on if you've got a really extreme example, um, a lot of open plan living these days with lots of um, light coming in, glancing light, and um, the mat can really help minimise those imperfections. And then you can go to Low Sheen, which is a very, very popular finish, more like 8 to 12% um, reflection. And so, again, starting to move up into semi-gloss and then full gloss. And like you said, if you use the full gloss on a wall, um, you're probably going to see quite a few of those, um, those imperfections. So. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think it's great um, for people who, I mean, I know where we live, we've got a very flat paint on the walls. It's the wall, it's the paint that was on the walls when we moved in. And, um, you know, there's red dirt. I live in northern New South Wales, so there's red dirt everywhere. And all the dog has to do is come inside when they're not supposed to and walk past the wall and there's this, you know, red streak and it's on a cream paint. And it's impossible to get off. It's really impossible to clean. Whereas I know in our houses when we were renovating, we always used a low sheen and um, it gave just enough luster to the walls that any light, um, natural light or electrical light, um, gave a really lovely reflection on the walls. But it still was um, quite forgiving of any imperfections on the walls and it was so easy just to wipe it off and clean and you know my with kids fingerprints and those kinds of things so I think if you're uh, doing a family home sitting in that low sheen or you know if you're if you if you don't like any sheen at all and you want just at least go matte and and choose something that's really going to be durable so yeah yeah absolutely um yeah but like you know, we sell uh, millions of litres of, um, of matte paint these days. And I think, you know, I talked before about um, getting a waterborne enamel to flow like a solvent-borne enamel. That's sort of the holy grail of paint chemistry, right? So if we think about um, wall paint, again, we would like to give people the option to have a flat paint that is as washable as a gloss. So those are the things that we are constantly working on. Um, you know, you go back 10 years, you wouldn't have been able to have a matte paint that war as well as they do these days so um, and a lot of new homes is uh, in particular are using matte paint um, it may it much more forgiving for the builder as well uh, not only is it on trend but it actually minimizes those imperfections um, <laughs> yeah, really nicely, so they don't have to go back and rework as well yeah it speeds everything up doesn't it yeah, yeah. <laughs> now in terms of ceilings you mentioned using flat paint on ceilings we generally do use a different ceiling paint, but I know some homeowners don't. They'll just use the same wall paint and paint it across the ceiling or they'll accidentally buy wall paint and put that on the ceiling anyway. What do you, and I, I know Dulux has got a few products in particular that, you know, the ceiling paint that goes on pink so that you can see it's actually there and it dries white, um, which is a great little cheat. What do you recommend in terms of people choosing paint for ceilings and actually buying a different product and um, getting a really good result? Yeah, I think um, like the ceiling category is really, and I look after it from a technical point of view, is really interesting. It's um, increasingly um, commoditized. And so, um, you know, when I think about a good ceiling paint, I actually think more about the process of putting it on. And I think about whenever I've painted a ceiling, what I felt like at the end of the day. And usually it was, I had an extremely sore neck. 
my shoulders were tight and, you know, I was stressed about like, you know, is it going to take another coat? Do I have to endure another coat? Um, and so um, what I think about is like, make sure that you buy a product that's quality first. So um, getting a product that typically you get what you pay for. So you'll have better coverage. It will actually be flat. So it will hide those imperfections and be more um, forgiving of your um, application technique or lack thereof. Um, and I think um, so, you know, buy quality and you should expect to get a, a very quality finish. We have, um, again, like in our ceiling paint range, in the Dulux range, um, we've got our blue label ceiling, um, which has anti-mold properties as well, um, which can be really good, um, you know, for preventing those like asthma type issues uh, that we spoke about before. And then we have our sort of like our, um, our supercharged, like our kitchen and bathroom um, ceiling paint, which has um, more of the mold inhibitor, has antibacterial properties, and has really, really um, superior coverage. Um, so we've you know, put more titanium dioxide in there, so it's going to cover better. So, um, and, you know, the hope for that is that the customer can get away with uh, one coat if they're painting over light colours and you don't have to endure that next uh, the next coat. So, yeah, I think think about yourself after the, the day's painting and how, how you won't be so sore because you used a good product. So Yeah, that's actually a very good tip because you're often, you know, you're looking up and you're painting above your head and you end up with paint on your face and in your eyes. <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's not a fun job. So. And a good tip as well is, you know, um, a lot of people instinctively pull the roller towards themselves <laughs> and it's always across the body. So if you see a good trade painter rolling a ceiling across the body and then you don't have to worry about it coming down on your face. So, <laughs> that's very um, good tip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now, I wanted to chat to you about um, VOCs or volatile organic organic compounds. It's a topic that's become um, much more discussed, uh, I know, amongst homeowners generally and in industry generally. And, and I think the general public are becoming far more aware of choosing materials that improve their indoor air quality and improve the well-being in their home. Now, all of Dulux paints have VOC amounts listed on them. When you go through the specifications on, um, on the website, you can see the amount of grams per litre. And there's actually um, there's a few different products that you've got. And, and Dulux also owns Porters, which has a no VOC paint range. Um, now, the I'm just going to read this because the Australian Paint Approval Scheme, which was created by the CSIRO, it actually puts low VOCs at between 5 and 49 grams of VOCs per litre. So that's between 5 and 49 grams. And very low VOCs are um, less than 5 grams per litre. So... Dulux Wash and Wear, which is a, probably one of the most well-known, I think, interior paints that most people will be familiar with. It's got a 16 grams per litre, so it meets that low VOC criteria. And as I said, Dulux owns Porters, which has that range of no VOCs. So can you talk through, like, why do VOCs exist in paints? What You mentioned the solvents and those types of things. Um, and what somebody needs to know about the painting process of using a paint um, if they're using, uh, I suppose, something that has low VOCs. I've, I've had builders say to me it's so much harder to get a decent finish with a low VOC or a no VOC paint. And also why Dulux hasn't chosen to make a completely no VOC paint as well. So there's a few questions in there. But, yeah, I'd just love to sort of hear sort of that whole that whole topic about VOCs and how – because people are – are very people who have health conditions or you know allergies or those kinds of things they'll be really committed to choosing a no VSA paint but they might not be aware of what that's going to mean in terms of the finish that they get or the durability that they get um and then and the pushback they might get from a builder and then mm. why Dulux yeah hasn't hasn't created the product themselves 
Yeah, I think um, so. If we if we start with like what a VOC is, right? So um, yeah, if you look at a, a solvent-borne paint, then that's going to have hundreds of grams per liter of VOC. And the definition of a VOC um, in Australia is the less than 250 degree boiling point, um, which is a, a good rule of thumb. So that means that there's material in the product that boils below 250 degrees. So in solvent. Uh, born paints that was like terps um, so lots of um, short chain alcohols uh, sorry uh, alkanes and like you know petroleum type products um, evaporating out into the room and that's then the smell that comes with that now when you go into waterborne um, VOCs can be glycols so you'll find them everywhere so um, probably in the shampoo that you use um, in the cosmetic products that you use all of those contain these um, you know volatile organic compounds and they're not um, particularly bad for you, the propylene glycols, tripropylene glycols, those types of things. Um, what we add them to the paint for is to, just like the painter said to you, to give them workability. So if you imagine you're painting on a really hot day, um, the water that's in the paint, in a waterborne paint, is going to want to evaporate out quickly. And you're trying to spread this product. So these glycols will hang around a little bit longer in the paint film and give that wet edge is what the, the terminology that they use. So it allows them to, to marry up the different laps of the paint and achieve a nice even finish. So increasingly, of course, everyone is taking out VOCs and we're doing the same thing ourselves. We're moving towards lower and lower VOC uh, levels and we have our Enviro range, which is a, a less than one gram um, VOC and then within the Porter's Paints business as well, um, I think the zero VOC um, product. So when we're talking about zero VOC, what we're saying is that um, we're not adding any components that boil below 250 degrees. Um, there can be um, SVOCs, which are semi-volatile organic compounds, which boil above 250 degrees. They could still be in a product that's called zero VOC. Um, so it's still going to evaporate out of the film, but be much slower to do so owing to their boiling point. We do see some really interesting claims in the market um, from smaller operators um, that we um, would never do. Well, we can't. We have a responsibility as like the largest brand in the market to um, act responsibly and, and um, you know report honestly on what we have. Um, we see these you know zero VOC claims um, that if you test the products they do have VOCs in them. So, um, you know, we have to be really transparent with what we do. And we also, being a mass market producer, like you said, with wash and wear, it does need to have an aspect of workability to it as well so that it can be applied all throughout Australia, whether it's in, you know, the hottest parts of uh, Queensland or the, the coldest parts of Tasmania. So, um, but it is, again, it's another one of those challenges for every paint chemist is um, reducing the VOC level. And, um, you know, we've came from 500 grams a litre and we're down now to anywhere from less than 50 to, you know, down to less than one. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see what's next, right? Because we're really at a point of um, diminishing returns. If you've, um, you've come from such a high level to such a low level, um, we start talking about, well, what's actually emitted from the film? Um, so that encompasses everything that comes out of the film and you know eventually we'll probably just be talking about only water will be will be coming out of the product of the product so um but then what are the what are the trade-offs that come from that so um if you look particularly at our european friends and we take a lot of inspiration from the european and the north american market um we've got some really interesting brands that have some beautiful finishes but just like you said 
they're maybe they're a little bit chalky and so you know you rub against them and they they come off the wall and you have to go back and touch that up so there's there's choices to be made and trade-offs um, but as the technology gets better and better um, and if consumers are demanding it um, we'll find a way to deliver deliver those products so yeah, and I think it's really interesting you know, what you said about some companies declaring the, the zero VOCs. I, when I was researching for this interview, I found um, a few articles about some of the North American brands that were claiming zero VOCs, but the green stamps that were on their tin cans, on their, on their paint cans, um, were all self-assessed. They were all their own brands. And so, and you know, a, a consumer sees a couple of leaves and, a, you know, something about it being eco-friendly and, and believes fairly that that's actually been externally audited and that's some kind of accreditation, you know, stamp. And so it is really, I mean, this, it's very difficult um, as a homeowner to, I suppose, know. But if you, you know, you see a company... Um, transparently declaring these are the number of grams per litre uh, and if they are saying zero grams per litre, how has that been assessed? Has that been externally accredited? Um, then that's a good – and, I mean, EcoSpecify is a really great, you know, industry resource for assessing those types of things. They are all externally accredited. So, um, But I think – thank you so much for taking us through that, Josh, because that's a really great explanation of, of understanding that, yeah, that there is going to be some – you know, I'm, I'm actually really excited about what's next because I feel like there's going to be some ingredient we haven't discovered yet or some property of combining ingredients um, and some innovation that's actually going to give us the ability to get the workability with the, with the you know, the indoor air quality being maintained as well. So I think that, um, yeah, and I, I trust that you're all very clever people who are, you know, aiming to be, I mean, with such a big company that does have such a big market presence, it is a fine line to tread between that legal responsibility um, of not making claims that you can't actually defend and prove to knowing that you want to stay and deliver what your what customers are asking for and what they you know what they um, what they want to have in their homes. So um, so yeah, that was fantastic to go through that. Uh, yeah. No problem. I think I think you know, my advice would be um, you know ask for the certificate that shows that it was assessed by a third party laboratory that has um, you know the proper approvals to do so um, like you touched on the American the North American companies um, you know a few of those actually um, were targeted by um, their FTC or their equivalent of the ACCC because they were making misleading claims um, so you know it's really important um, to us that the product does what it says it does um, so so you won't see any of the, the greenwashing from us um, which we do see from uh, quite a few smaller players so yeah definitely yeah josh it's been so fantastic talking with you you've been a wealth of information and knowledge and uh yeah it's just been you've shared it so generously so thank you so much for your time no problem my pleasure I do hope that you enjoyed learning more about the science behind paint and the technology behind paint and how to use it really well in your home for the different types of applications that you might have and the different results that you're trying to create. Make sure you head to the show notes. I've got all the links and resources mentioned here in this episode. And Dualux itself has an incredible amount of resources on its website. Uh, don't forget that you can order the swatches for all of their colors there. You can also uh, look at 
paint calculators, looking at how you work out what's going to be the best paint for the specific application that you have, how much you're going to need. They've got recommendations for roller types, paintbrush types. Like there's so much information there. It's really a great resource to be informed about how to make good choices for your interior specifications. Now, I mentioned this when we interviewed Andrea Lucina or about the Dulux colour forecasting, and I want to repeat it again here. Whatever paint you use, make sure that you choose your colours from that paint range, okay? it's You'll see people saying, pick any colour you want, we'll just get the substitute done in the brand that you're going to use, but you'll get such a better result and a better colour, better, you know, better look, all of that better performance, all of that kind of stuff. If you just stick to the palette of the brand that you're using, there's so many different colors in all of the different brands. You're bound to find what you need in the brand that you're using. Dulux is definitely my fave. It's the one I've been using for all of my career. I used it on my own projects, uh, have been a big fan of its performance, its coverage, and uh, their color range for me is, you know, there's always a color that I can find and love. So you can, you know, just, I wanted to put that out there again to remind you, don't just go ahead and try and substitute with whatever brand you're using, really work within the the brand color range of the brand that you're going to use. All right. Now, remember in the links uh, and the resources, you'll also find how you can learn more information about Interior Design 101, which is our self-study online program that will help you gain clarity and confidence for the interior design of your future home. Inside Interior Design 101, Josh and I have more conversation about paint and how to specify it well and things that you need to know. So the full extended interview uh, of which the podcast is just a summary of, uh, the full extended interview is actually Inside Interior Design 101 now. Now, in the next episode, I'm actually going to be kicking off a two-part episode little mini-series. We're going to be talking to Evan Montero of DIY Blinds. Window furnishings is one of these things, you know, where I see homeowners leave it until they've moved in. Uh, Sometimes it might be because they've run out of budget or they've just not even realised that it's something to consider as part of their design process. So we're talking your blinds, your curtains, anything like that. And uh, the conversation that I have with Evan is fantastic because there are so many things that you can do as part of your design phase to achieve a much more cost-effective result and a much better looking, more integrated result as well with your window furnishing. So when you know that during your design phase can make such a significant difference to how the functionality and the look of your interior design works overall. So it's a cracker of a conversation. So make sure you join us. And uh, Evan's also got a really uh, fantastic offer for savings for members of Interior Design 101. So um, you'll hear about that as well. Okay. As always, huge gratitude to you. Thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time. Bye. Bye.